Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome again to the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools. We're here every week because government schools need defending. D-O-G-S, we are the dogs. Um, if you haven't heard of us, uh, well, I'm surprised we've been around for about 35, 40, 50, 60 years. Um, on the radio here, they're at 3CR in the community of Melbourne in 3CR. We've been around for about 30 years because that's how long government schools have needed defending on the airways. Um, why do they need defending in, in a civilised nation? That's a question we ask ourselves every week. And so we'll be asking certain questions both of, us, of the Australian education system and education systems around the world. Today we're going to do something really, really local, something that only really exists in this bottom corner of the world, in this Antipodes. It exists in several states in a place called Australia. Um, and it's, it's this game called Australian... Uh, Lee, Australian Rules Football, AFL. Um, um, I'm going to talk about AFL and education in Australia because we've now got to this really bizarre situation where the AFL has become an elite sport. It's only for those people who go to the right schools, oh, which is just millions. weird. Um, and and yeah, there's billions in it, that's why. Well, there's billions in it, of course. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just the strangest process, and it's happened sort of... By stealth over the last 20 years, and there's a wonderful article actually um, by um, Jake Nile, who's normally a football commentator. He sits there and talks about the draft, and he sits there and talks about uh, round 23 results and the finals, and like he's just a footy bloke. But he's come to this conclusion. He's just looked at it and went, "Oh my goodness, we've turned into something that we weren't when I first started this business." And he details from a football perspective about what's going on with these people attacking public schools in the name of the AFL. It's just the strangest thing. We'll also be talking about how venture capital, um, you know, there's people with too much money. Yeah, I don't know any. If you do, um, you can give them my number, no worries. Um, venture capital um, find that private schooling in Australia is most definitely um, a winning ticket when it comes to wanting to make money. Out of insecure parents. Out of insecure parents and indeed the government who follows, obviously, um, the delights and vagaries and tastes of insecure parents around Australia because they're the swing voters. Um, but of course, as we always do on the Dogs Program, if you're a regular listener, but if you're new, you're in for a treat, um, it's Jean's press release. Jean's press release number, what is it, Jean? 819. Oh, wow. Here we go. Yes, here we go. During the week, I received a very interesting email from a gentleman called Thomas Oren. Actually, he's been emailing me over the last few weeks. Thomas is a retired public school teacher from New South Wales and he taught economics. And in the end, he liked the dog's website, which is at www.adogs.info, and I sent him a copy of the book, Contempt of Court, and he enjoyed that. But um, he put pen to paper and he's written an eight-page article. And his eight-page article is well worth reading. The dogs may not agree with everything he says, but uh, we do think that it is worth taking account of, especially since he was an economics teacher. And the uh, private schools that we're up against are an economic, well, we call them a travesty, but they're certainly a business. They're in the business world. They're not in the business, really, of education, certainly not the education of all children. Uh, 
and uh, we, we think that education is something that should not be a business, should not depend upon the bank balance of parents because children, our children, our Australian children are worth a lot more than that. So he has written this paper which is called The Real Cost of Private Education and uh, today we are going to give you some of the words of wisdom from Thomas Oren and next week we will give you a good deal more of the wise words of Thomas Oren. So I'll start uh, and Dale will tell you how private schools don't save us money and she'll also tell us how, in fact, the uh, giving of money to private schools is very inefficient. And she might go on to tell you about the cost of excess capacity, redundancy, undercapacity and underutilisation. But there is much, much more of very common sense economic perspective of the problems which Australia confronts at the moment with the subsidisation of private education in this country. So here it is, The Real Cost of Private Education by Thomas Oren. In episode 10 of the second series of Armdo's Brush with Fame, he painted and interviewed the wonderful plastic surgeon Fiona Wood. I don't know how many of you listeners actually watch Armdo's Brush with Fame on television. I'm afraid I don't, but uh, this gentleman, Thomas Oren, did. When talking about her early life, uh, Fiona Wood uh, pointed out that her mother had enrolled her in a private school because she said she wanted her to have the, quote, best education possible. It was a throwaway line, almost a cliché these days, the best education possible. You hear it so often that many people accept that it must be true. Doe's choice of words probably had something to do with the school his mother sent him to via a scholarship. St Aloysius's College, a wealthy Catholic school in the prestigious Sydney suburb of Kirribilli. Those words may not have meant much to Arne or to Fiona, for that matter, but they did to Thomas Oren, and they would to anybody who knows that the best education possible is in a public school. You see, according to Arne, Thomas and I, and possibly you, dear listener, did not get the best education possible because we went to a public school and neither did our children, and neither will our grandchildren. Now, Thomas Oren is certain that neither Ando nor Fiona Wood had any desire to belittle him or his children, and he was equally certain that neither would they want to see any child disadvantaged as a result of their personal views. Nor does Thomas think that the various religions that operate private schools have any desire to harm students in public schools. But the truth is, they are. Public school students are the inadvertent victims of the subsidisation of private schools because more and more people are perceiving that the only way to get the best education possible is apparently to send their children to a private school, and that can mean only one thing, that the government is failing to provide public schools with the resources they need to give their students the best education possible. In short, there is something wrong with the system. Well, the dogs aren't so certain there is very much wrong, particularly when we have such great state schools with that system, but there is certainly a lot wrong with the system of funding. But we'll have a little bit of a break and then Dale will take up on the paper by Thomas Owen, The Real Cost of Private Education. 
3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Friends, food and rebellious feminism. Keen to meet like-minded feminists passionate about overhauling the system? Want to revel in the global uprisings led by women? Celebrate highlights of 2019 with radical women. Swap ideas of what still needs to be done. Find out Radical Women's plans for early 2020 and get involved. Sunday, December the 8th, 5pm at the Solidarity Salon, 580 Sydney Road, Brunswick. All genders welcome. Phone 03 9388 0062 for more information. Radical Women is a 3CR supporter. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Dogs Program. This is Dale and I'm just going to read from Thomas Oren's article, The Real Cost of Private Education. Before the break, Jean uh, read the introduction and now we're going to the first heading, the first point he makes. But private schools save money, don't they? Many people think that because private school parents foot some or even much of the bill for educating their children, they must be saving the government a lot of money. But is this so? Prior to 1973, the Commonwealth spent very little on primary and secondary education, and prior to the 1960s, they spent virtually nothing. But in 2019 to 2020... Funding for schools will reach $19.9 billion, with average Commonwealth funding per student having increased from $3,755 in 2014 to $5,097. The vast majority of those funds go to private schools. One, in 2014 to 2015, 63.8% of Commonwealth education funding went to private schools, while only 36.2% went to public schools. And two, a situation which has become even more lopsided after subsequent budgets. The subsidisation of private schools since the 1960s represents a significant addition to the Commonwealth expenditures, but more importantly, it is contributing to a gap between the amount that is spent to educate a public school student and that being spent on their private school peers. It does this in two ways. Firstly, Commonwealth subsidisation provides the cream on the cake for many private schools. And secondly, subsidisation contributes to growth of the, private education in, of the private education in general, which spends more per child than the public system. When funding from fees is included, this gap becomes a chasm. This subsidisation has, has had a two-pronged effect on Australian taxpayers. The first is the direct cost to taxpayers of subsidising private education, and the second are the fees that many parents now feel obliged to pay in order to access the, quote, best education possible, unquote. Ironically, while the push to privatise education is part of a global movement for smaller government and lower taxes, any potential savings in taxes are more than offset by the extra fees that the parents have to pay. Moreover, if the intention of privatised education was to improve education overall, the decline in educational standards since subsidies were introduced indicates that it has been an abject failure. By diverting funding from public schools at a time when they need more support than ever, it has restricted access to the most needed support by troubled and disadvantaged students. 
It has even been suggested that the current state, government, state Commonwealth funding arrangements make it in the best interests of the state governments to neglect public education because state coffers benefit as more parents send their children to private schools. Every time a child moves from a public school to a private one, the government's the state government pays a little less towards their education and the Commonwealth government is forced to pay a little more. So in effect, running down public schools becomes a budget-saving measure for state treasurers. But the subsidisation of private education has had an even more insidious effect. Funds that should be going to support students in public schools are being diverted into religious institutions. This occurs in two ways. While money that has been earmarked for education cannot be used to promote religion, the public subsidisation of religious schools saves churches having to pay the entire cost of operating schools, which releases funds for other purposes. The second way that the church benefits is via the real estate they acquire for the purposes of education. In many cases, these assets are acquired via state-based subsidised loans or, if not, they are financed as part of the cost of providing education. But in either case, the assets become the sole property of the institutions concerned, which can sell them off at a later date. However, the subsidisation of private education creates some other less obvious costs as well, costs that society will have to pay for in the years to come. Inefficiency. The first of these costs is reduced economic efficiency. That is, using more resources than necessary to achieve a certain outcome. The privatisation of education is based on the philosophy that privatisation results in greater efficiency. However, this is not always the case. Three of the hallmarks of capitalism are oversupply, redundancy and waste, which are anything but efficient ways to use resources. Moreover, the growth of subsidies for private schools in the name of greater freedom of choice is forcing many parents to pay for what was once a free service. This is inefficient by any measure. Well, we'll just have a quick break now and then we'll be right back. You're listening to The Dogs.
And welcome back to the Dogs Program. Uh, I'm reading an article here by Thomas Oren uh, entitled "The Real Cost of Private Educate The Real Cost of Private Education." And uh, to continue, we've just been talking about its inefficiency, and now the costs of excess capacity, redundancy, undercapacity, and underutilisation. A major cost of funding private schools is the opportunity cost of creating a dual system of education, which results in excess capacity and redundancy. The resources that have gone into creating this dual system could have been put to better use elsewhere. While some excess capacity is necessary to cater for unseen demand, too much is a waste of resources. In education, Overcapacity means that some schools have too many unused rooms, while redundancy means having more schools, buildings, rooms, desks and staff than are actually required. But while an education system needs some spare capacity to cater for unexpected enrolments, the problem is amplified in a dual public-private system. A single public system has more ability to plan for an efficient distribution of schools and thereby avoid unnecessary redundancy, overcapacity and overcrowding. Economies of scale and various operational advantages mean that it is easier to maximise efficiency in a single public system than in a dual public-private system. By definition, the private system is uncoordinated. Private schools are free to build new schools of any capacity in any location they like. Therefore, redundancy will always be greater in both a mixed public-private system and in a fully privatised system. Not only that, but a free public education would relieve any parent of the burden of paying private school fees, an opportunity cost that is often overlooked it would have the same economic impact as a, t- a massive tax cut, the savings from which could be redirected towards other more productive or beneficial pursuits. As long as overall standards can be maintained, a society can only benefit from increasing the efficiency of spending on education. Because all citizens need education equally, they should all have access to the best education possible, which means that all schools should be of equal calibre. The external costs of privatised education? Costs such as labour, energy and marketing are all called internal costs. However, industries and business can also create external costs that have that have to be borne by individuals or groups outside the industry or business that creates them. For example, lung cancer is an external cost of smoking. It is created by the tobacco industry, but it is borne by individuals and society. The external cost of social disadvantage. The external costs associated with not providing universal access to the best education possible are well documented. They include disenchantment with learning, low self-esteem, depression, low workplace productivity, increased reliance on welfare services and, in the worst cases, higher crime rates and social degradation. When combined, these subtract significantly from the benefits that freedom of choice is supposed to provide. Those who attend the wealthiest private schools will suffer from social degradation along with everyone else. A student might be isolated from social disadvantage while at an exclusive private school, but they cannot be removed from a society that is ridden with the consequences of educational disadvantage. A tragic example of this was the death of Thomas Kelly in 2001. He was a student from a wealthy family who attended the prestigious King's School in Sydney, but was killed in a cowardly one-punch attack in King's Cross. His death highlights the greatest single cost of underfunding public education, the potential to create an underclass that will undermine social stability. Thanks very much, Dale. Are you listening to the Dogs Program? We are the defenders of government schools here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the www's. Some very powerful points. Um, 
I would add to the points that Dale was making that specifically one of the providers of educational services from a religious organisation in a private educational context is the Catholic Church. And we're talking about efficiencies um, and we're talking about effectiveness of the use of funds. It's probably worth pointing out that the Catholic Church in Victoria has $9 billion in assets currently. Uh, which can be extrapolated to around about a, 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 um, a figure of $30 billion under assets. This has just come about because um, old Dennis Hart, he was the Catholic Archbishop, his house in Kew has just been sold for $3.1 million. Um, he's decided to downsize a bit and to go and live in a luxury $900,000 property, beachfront one at Dramana instead, which is all very nice of him. Um, it's also, he says, to be sold, he's, you know, doing the right thing by living in a million-dollar apartment in, in, or, or house in Dramana by selling a place in Kew because it means that they might be able to pay some of the compensation claims for those children that the organisations abused. Um, in the schools, which we've been talking about, <laughs> which I find just a really strange circular sense of logic, certainly when it comes to the economics of what Dale has been talking about because very difficult to get from the economic dimension to the moral dimension, unless, of course, uh, you're the Catholic Church in Australia, when all the numbers line up and you go, whoa, that's a lot of money you got there, why don't you pay it out? Oh, no, we'll sell a house or two, we'll be fine. Anyway, um, we'll be continuing with that article, um, that actually extended Gene's famous press release, uh, next week, because there's, some, there's very much more interesting information which we've yet to sh- share with you from this article. But that will be next week. Um, we will be returning with exactly what's going on um, with venture capital in schools, which is related in, in, eco- in economic terms. Because um, venture capital thinks private schooling is just an absolute money winner, money spinner, chicken dinner. And I'll be explaining why. Well, insecure parents who haven't yet woken up that actually they do better if they go to a public school. Yeah, because the education dollar, both from the parents and from the government, um, there's a lot of fat in there and some venture capitalists are pouncing on it. Let me tell you how after these messages. Tune in to Power on the Margins, 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People with Disability on 3rd of December. From 7am to 7pm, we'll feature BIPOC perspectives, live music, artists and discussions. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2019. Summertime. Summertime brings wine. Pass me my Prosecco. Out on patio. This year's delicious Radical Radio wines are generously sponsored by Breast's Winery in the Harcourt Valley. Specially priced at only $20 a bottle and even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen. You can order via phone or online and collect it from 3CR during business hours up until noon on Tuesday the 24th of December. Perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3CR. Call the station during business hours on 9419 8377 to order or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Breast Wines is a 3CR supporter. Oh, how the world's changed. Isn't it wonderful? A summer wine fundraiser here at 3CR. And I can tell you right now, it, it's not shoddy plonk you'll be drinking on the corner. This is good stuff. So, yeah, I, I would definitely get involved in, if, if you do drink wine, in the um, 3CR summer wine well, some fundraising. Of, don't, of course. Of course. Oh, well, that's okay. That's a very moral position if you're thinking wine has something to do with that. But I can tell you, it's good tasting stuff. And um, I get into it and because it also supports your community as well. Please. Drink in moderation. <laughs> um, I promised before the break I was going to tell you about venture capitalists. Now, venture capitalists don't muck around when it comes to morals. They don't really care. Money equals morals. Um, if there's a profit to be made, then, then the profit should be made. If there's fat to be found, if there's, a, if there's a gap in the market, if someone's buying something and someone's you know, selling it to them and there's a way of improving that process and there's fat involved as a merchant within that, you as a venture capitalist will get involved. Now, Australia has a very particular social structure where education, um, more and more, is seen as a competitive marketplace. 
And venture capitalists from here in Australia and around the world have pounced on this opportunity. And there's a new fintech company called EdStart. And it's actually the first of Australia's emerging payment startups to tap into the deep pockets of fee-paying education with its $11 billion spending base annually of financially committed private school parents. $11 billion, pockets of parents. This isn't government funding. This is people wanting their children to get a be- a, the best education, they will say. But as long, as long as it's better than the kid next door, that's fine, quite frankly. I'm quite harsh when it comes to this. Um, I know various parents do send their children to private schools and they have a, a long list of reasons, very good reasons, why they say they do. However... They're not prepared to really to pay for it. They want the taxpayers to to pay for it, and then they just put a bit of cream on the top. Indeed. Look, Edstart has completed a $5 million Series A capital raising, so they've got some money. They've got some money from NAB Ventures and Lars Ventures, allowing it to expand its business, which smoothed over the, what they call the lumpy school fee commitments into fortnightly payments. Hmm. Now, the Ventures is run by Andrew Larson, Larson Ventures, and whose father, Peter, co-founded the educational giant Navitas, which this year was snapped up by BGH Capital for $2.3 billion. So there is actually people in the marketplace doing similar things already. His dad's just sold this for $2.3 billion. Bear in mind, this is just a business based upon wedging yourself into the gap between the insecure parent and the school that demands payment from them. So that's how much that business is worth, just, just that transaction is worth. Now, Jack Stevens, who was formerly of KPMG and Finance, and Jonah Halebury, who was formerly of JP Morgan, said between them, between three out of four of their parents were school teachers, which was a factor in their views about education. In 2015, the two agreed that there was room for a fintech platform that would make it easier for parents to get through the pain points, as they described them, of school fee instalments. The big takeout for us was what education is a huge priority in Australia. They say over 40% of school students are within our market target and go to non-government schools. They say, and I quote, don't get me wrong, I don't think there's anything wrong with government schools. <laughs> <laughs> what about the other 60%? Well, no, the other, the other, there's, there's no money to be made from the other 60%. This is where the morals and finance question sort of just blur. They say, oh, that's great, government schools are great, however, there's no money over there for us. Mm. He says, in the US, parents save their whole lives to send their children to college. But in Australia, they save their lives to send them to kindergarten to year 12, private schools. It's a different system. There is an emotional commitment that parents have around education, and they're damn right about that. Because every time you hear the arguments, often it gets really emotional really quickly. He says some families are paying 35% of their after-tax income, after-tax income, on school fees which in some cases is more than their mortgage. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. This is not, this is not new data. This is just a venture capitalist looking as well. If they're willing to be stupid enough to spend that, they'll be willing to be stupid enough to give us some of it. Mm. Now, people are swamped with offers to lend for houses and cars and shares, but not lending for education. The company, which is based in an old church in Sydney's startup suburb of Surrey Hills, makes earnings from transaction fees charged on managing payments. Now, functionally, the company will use the capital raising that they've got already to offer a new one-stop shop business for schools managing their fee collections as well. Oh. Ah. <laughs> administration so they're debt collectors. They're going to be well. debt collectors as well as, as, well. Quite, as, as well as lending parents money to get over the pain points oh. of the fee production. Now, this, you might, this is conflict of interest. This is extraordinary. Oh, no, no, Jane, this is, this is venture capital. You can't use moral phrases like um, no, 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 conflict no, 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 of interest. No, 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 Jane. I'm telling you, this is a new world. You just be quiet there and, and stop talking about that legal rubbish. This is venture capital and we're trying to attack it to this country. Ethics, ethics. And, and um, I'm just getting overexcited, Jane. You can stop it now. Settle down, settle down, Jane, settle down, Jane. I'll Everything's all right. Go back, to, go, back to being a pro- go back to being a quiet Australian, thank you. <laughs> go back to being a quiet Don't want any noisy people talking about Go and about. count your franking credits. Yes, go and count your franking credits. You, you retirees are all the same. Oh, I'm sick of it, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm terribly sorry. I just haven't got any to actually, 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 no, Jane. You, as, as far as um, Frydenberg's concerned, you should still be in the workforce. Off you go. <laughs> back down the mines with you. 
Well, we're having fun today, listeners. We are indeed insulting. Isn't it terrible? No, I mean, venture capitalists in a very simple way have identified a market, and the market is the emotional insecurity of middle-class parents. There's money to be made, and there's billions of it, if the sale of the previous company for $2.4 billion is anything to go by. And the tragedy is that if those parents didn't have that choice, all of their insecurity and all of that money and all of their desire to get a really first-class education system for their children would come back into the public sector and we would all be learning to live together Mm. instead of placing pillars in our society. And you've got some very interesting information about a new pillar that they are erecting in the AFL. Which we'll be talking about directly after these. It was the third of June another sleepy dusty delta day I was out chopping cotton my brother Come and go. 
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855. You're with me and Dale and Jean. We've all calmed down and stopped being rude to each other. So tell me about how private schools have actually taken over the Australian Football League. You go, what? How can, how can, how can Halebury and St Kevin's and Scott's College and all these... Which Carey people? Grammar. Carey Grammar. Look, the first... Heavens above, they taken football. Well... <laughs> I'll read you an article by Jack Nile, who's a football commentator. He's not a political commentator or an educationalist or anything like that. And being a good football commentator, he likes to tell a good story. And he starts by saying, There's a freestanding concrete grandstand overlooking the Dunshee Oval at Kerry Baptist Grammar. Sprawling sports complex. It's completely full on this cold, misty winter's day. To the rugged-up throng watching this game of Australian football between affluent private schools... The very Melbourne question of which school did you go to remains potent. The vast majority of the spectators who ring the oval are students, parents and alumni of Carey and their opponents, who today happen to be Caulfield Grammar. They're here um, on an expanse of Bulleen Parkland near the Eastern Freeway on August the 3rd game that will decide the premiership of the prestigious Associated Public Schools competition. Across the oval, there's no seating only a clunky rectangular electronic scoreboard and a backdrop of trees. Just metres from the boundary, a tall, bald, middle-aged man with a Roman centurion's beard is seated on a fold-up camping chair, taking notes. Hamish Ogilvie, recruiting manager for the Adelaide Crows. And his offsizer, uh, Binuk Kodowinwaku, are here to assess some of the teenagers for their AFL worthiness. Two most keenly watched kids at Kerry's co-captains and best mates, Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson. Now, since this article has been um, written, they have been recruited by the Gold Coast Suns as a, as a matched pair in their set, and the mates can stick together. So, bang, bang. Kerry Gummer, Queensland. Contract, go. Just this week gone by, their names were the first called out as picks one and two in the AFL's national draft. And, you know, they were picked, as predicted, by the Gold Coast Suns, whose successful pitch to the AFL for an extra draft pick was predicted on the opportunity to recruit both of the Kerry captains together. I ask Ogilvy, who's here from the clubs? He says, everyone. Fingering through the team lists on the program, Ogilvy rattles off the names of nine or ten AFL prospects as if they were his first cousins. Certainly most of the 18 AFL club scouts are at the Kerry game. Not so much to watch Raoul and Anderson, who will be selected before 17 teams have a choice, but to assess several others. No school, state, private or Catholic, has ever produced the first two players in a draft. When this happens, Kerry will feel a burst of pride and see a surge of publicity. But this novelty of two schoolmates going one and two in the AFL draft is really a signpost of a far more momentous shift that's already happened within Australian rules football. For a host of reasons, which start but don't end with scholarships, private schools are producing footballers for the AFL at a burgeoning rate. Um, The majority of the first 30 names called out in the AFL draft last week will be characterised as coming from elite private schools, either from Victoria and its associated grammar schools, and, or the APS schools, or the equivalent schools in Adelaide and Perth. It's a gradual trend, like a slowly boiled frog. Most pertinently is the shift that was not driven by the AFL, 
Rather, it is a change that reflects competition and resources within our education system. Mm. Geelong Grammar got a bigger, has a bigger salary cap than Collingwood, quipped one AFL official, explaining how much talent has been herded into the boarding houses and the immaculate fields down there at Geelong Grammar. Whether the rugby codes from the outset were divided along class lines, that is, traditional rugby union was the domain of the upper crust and the private schools in New South Wales and Queensland, while the upstart rugby league was a blue-collar game. Australian rules owed its strength to the fact that it was played and watched by everyone. Everybody. By the sons of investment bankers and tradies, by lawyers and labourers, suits and singlets. Footy remains the glue that binds disparate stratas within Victoria and other southern states. Not anymore. Yet, the drift towards private school footballers in this egalitarian code is now undeniable. According to the APS's figures, just over a quarter, that's 25.6%, of the players drafted to AFL clubs in 2017 came from 11 schools who make up the APS, which also supplied four of the first five picked. There's just 11 schools from one state out of 2,755 Australian schools that run to Year 12 in the state. Eleven. The eleven schools are the cradles of the country's owners and decision-makers, that is to say, Melbourne Grammar, Scots College, Geelong Grammar, Xavier College, Wesley College, St Kevin's College, Halebury College, Caulfield Grammar, Brighton Grammar, Geelong College and Cary. That's it. They're the names. Just those eleven. That's it. So one quarter... There isn't even one state school boy... In these teams? Uh, no, there are state school boys in the draft, but they're certainly not in the first 15, and they're certainly not in the, in the top lot. Let, let me continue. I'll explain mm-hmm. it to you, and hopefully our audience as well, Jean. In 2018, the percentage drafted from these 11 schools was around about 25% again, on the basis of the AFL's website, Phantom Draft. Both APS and AGS schools, within that statue in Adelaide and Perth are forecast to account for at least 17 of the first 30 um, in last year's draft, and in fact they did. The definition of elite precludes the likes of established and well-regarded Catholic colleges such as St Joseph's in Geelong, St Patrick's in Ballarat and Whitefriars, whose alumni account for 31 of the current AFL players. The trend has sort of come through the last five or six years and it's increasing every year, said Luke Solis, the executive officer of APS of sport since 2003. Um, Professor John Funder has written more than 600 medical research papers and chaired a series of international and national organisations including Vic Health and SANE Australia. Last year in London with his wife Valley, he couldn't resist in a book in Hatchard's bookshop called Posh Boys by Robert Verank. The subtitle more than hints at the author's thesis, How English Public Schools Run Britain. In Posh Boys, the author provides some astonishing breakdowns of the proportion of public school graduates in prestige fields. In Australia, public schools is a misnomer, since the public school is utterly private and male. The English public schools, exemplified by Eton, Harrow and Rugby, cover just 7% of the English male schoolboys, yet account for an extraordinary 74% of senior judges in the UK, 71% of senior officers in the Army Forces, 50% of cabinet ministers and a startling 50% of male Olympic athletes. Funda, a Collingwood supporter, decided to examine the whole AFL for schools of origin. He started... This was the assumption that, as a code that reflected the diverse breadth of Australian society, schools will be represented along the lines of overall secondary school enrolments for Year 12. Used to be, but not anymore. He based it on Victorian figures, 55% from government schools, 24% from Catholic schools, and the remaining 21% from independent schools. But this is not what he found. Funder, 79, obtained a meeting with the AFL boss, Gillan McLaughlin, and two other senior executives, and requested information as a school of origin for all male players in the AFL lists. Eventually, got the AFL school breakdown. Of the 787 AFL footballers who played football in the AFL in 2019, 90, which is basically 99% of the total, there were some people who didn't want their data to be used quite right, the carve-up was this. About 30% came from government schools. Catholic schools, a little bit more than 30%, and independent schools were almost 40%. 
Thus, he concluded, your chances of playing AFL were almost four times higher if you went to an independent school than a state school, and almost three times higher than if you went to a Catholic school. The independent number would be even higher if he had counted Xavier and St Kevin's equivalents in Perth and Adelaide as independent rather than Catholic. Funder was surprised, but he shouldn't have been. What's behind the disproportionate number of private school football of, and what does it mean? Well, in the early to mid-1980s, there weren't many successful league footballers from the likes of Melbourne Grammar, Scotch and their APS brethren. Yeah, in the 80s, strong Catholic schools like Assumption College and Marcelin College, both um, sort of private Catholic schools, were renowned for production of players that schools absolutely, that schools that absolutely reeked of privilege. But in footy circles, there was a view that the private school boy was softer than the hard scrabble kids, that they, as I say, lacked the wound that Norma Mailer once said was the aristocratic literal rival um, to his literary rival, Gore Vidal, back in, back in the day, and were less invested in making the grade, in part because they were destined for more lucrative careers. Capable private school footballers were expected to progress no further than the old boys' team and amateurs before they went into law or medicine. In 1985, the Old Moon under-19 that, that the author, Jake Niles' brother, played for forfeited their final game of the season because too many ex-Melbourne grammar boys had gone holidaying to Noosa Heads but they, and they couldn't muster sufficient numbers to find a team. They returned, suntanned, to win the premiership later. Elite private school production, significant in the VFL's early days, has dwindled. Then from around 1999 to 2000, a migration began, to the point that Halebury in particular alone had 20 players at AFL clubs in 2019, nearly enough to field their own team. <laughs> Caulfield Grammar had 19, Scotch and Melbourne Grammar had 17, and Xavier and St Kevin's had 14. Um, other schools sort of had some, as Funders figures showed, headed by Marcelin's 10 and Trinity Grammar's 8. It's noteworthy that Assumption, once an assembly line, has long been surpassed by its more moneyed Melbourne rivals. Well, if you want to know more about this AFL story, which is breaking here on the dogs on 3CR 855 on the Amdahl, you're going to have to wait for our second instalment next week. Until then, um, let's find out about a great state school. Every week on the Dogs Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Our great state school of the week is one of those schools you move for. You know how in various state schools in Melbourne they're so good that everyone has to buy a house in that catchment area and it costs them an extra couple of hundred thousand to do it? If you're around Baldwin North, or you, you'll know what I'm talking about if you're in the market for a good state school. Um, well, here's one that you definitely should move to because it's brilliant. It's a school, it's, it's a country school, a sort of country town school. It's got approximately 100 kids in it. It's... School profiles are fascinating ones as far as I'm concerned because around about 70% of the kids come from the lower socioeconomic half. Um, and where is this school that you want to move to? Well, I'll tell you in a bit. Before I tell you where it actually is, this school you really need to move to, um, it has about 100 kids. The focus of the school is in developing and implementing experiences and opportunities that actually really boost learning for every child from birth to grade 6. So actually, if you've moved in and you are going to be going to the school, if the child is going to be going to school, they actually start the school experience as early as they possibly can to integrate the parents into the potential community in which they're joining. That's a good thing. That's just not normal. Hang on, that's a state school doing something different and innovative. Of course they have strong partnerships, but where is this place? Where do I have to move to to get this school? Well, before I tell you that, I'm going to tell you the NAPLAN results. Because, quite frankly, their NAPLAN results are stunningly good. Compared to similar schools around the country, they are shockingly good at reading, numeracy, grammar and writing, like significantly better than similar schools. Um, look, in year three, some of the grammar's not so good last year. The year before it was fine, so there was a bit of a hiccup there. But by the time those kids get to year five, I can tell you they're going to be fine because those scores are well above average now, so there's good things going on. 
Oh my goodness, if this school is so amazingly good, and it's, it's in a country town somewhere in Australia, and it's a place where in, where is it? What is it? Well, how much does it cost? How much does it cost to send your child to this brilliant school, this great state school? Well, it costs you, the parent, um, around about 200 bucks a year. So if, you are, if you're not interested in having out-of-pocket expenses, then I'd send the kid there. It costs me and the rest of the taxpayers of Australia around about $15,000. And that really relates to the fact that it's a sort of a regional, it's a regional school. But well, where? But where is this school, Jane? Can you tell me? No, but I could tell you that if you send your child to this school, you won't find into the, you won't fall into the hands of these venture capitalists that'll first of all loan you the money for fees and then come, come, come on your door as the debt collectors. On behalf of the school. You what? want to keep out of that. Okay. Only two hundred dollars. That's 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 not thirty-five percent of of your yearly intake, surely. Absolutely. And, and the government, the taxpayers are putting in fifteen thousand for your child. Quite yes. right, sir. And, and quite gladly. As well. Where is this school? Where is this amazing place? Well, the first thing you, you have to you have to get on a ferry and go across to Australia's southern island. And then you have to do a little bit of drive, a couple of hours off to the east coast, and you end up in a little place called Bishano. Oh, and oh, this school that you, that I would move to Bishano in a heartbeat, and I think you should too, just for the school if you've got, if you've got a primary school child, because the Bishano Primary School, the Bishano Primary School is our great state school of the week. Congratulations to them. Oh, what a packed show we've had this week. And you have to wait for next week to find out more about the AFL and indeed all the other stuff from that magnificent paper that we were dealing with with Jane's press release. If you're interested in what we're talking about, then dig us up on the internet. www.adogs.info or through the 3CR website, Community Radio, 855 and AM dial and www.3cr.org.au. Um, also, if you've got a great state school, give us a, give us a go. Give us a call at the station, 94198377, um, during business hours, and we'll put it to air for sure. Thanks, heaps. Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joey last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find Joe, you're ten years dead.